0: You want to jump in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, we will get started there in just a moment. But today we're going to conclude our series called Red Letter Questions. We've done this series now for the last five weeks. Uh, I hope it's challenged you. I know in our particular life group, it's led to some great discussion as we look at the questions that Jesus asked and what our response to those questions should be. Today, as we close, I want to do something a little bit different. Um, I'm going to actually look at a red-letter statement in the Scripture, and I want to pose what question that should mean to us. What question should we ask ourselves after reading what Jesus stated in this passage? But if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 8, we're going to read verses 27 through 39. It says, When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because the demons had gone into him, and they had begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let, him, let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in, his, dressed in his right mind, They were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into his boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Let's pray real quickly this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I come to you right now. God, I pray over these next few moments that you would use your word to illuminate something in all of our hearts, God. I pray that you would challenge us. God, encourage those who need it today, and we thank you for it. In your name I pray. Amen. How many parents in the room today? Raise your hand. How many parents of young kids in the room today? All right, so we reached a new stage of childhood in our house Uh, about two, three months ago. uh, We reached the video game stage where we have a video game system in our house for the first time. My son will turn nine years old um, two weeks from tomorrow. And my oldest brother had an extra video game console that they weren't using and decided they would give it to us, which we are very thankful for. So I hid it for a little while. Then I finally set it up. Got Aiden some games, and now you know we've been going through it. But I realized something about today's video game Uh, systems—they're a lot more complex than what we used to play when I was growing up. Uh, How many NES Nintendo people we got? Yeah, Sega Genesis. Sega Genesis was it for me? '97 Madden—you could get out of anything with a spin move. Um, You could not be tackled if you were Barry Sanders. Uh, You you just hit spin move, and you—you're out of it. But the video game systems nowadays are a lot more complex, I have found out. Never been much of a video game person since I graduated high school. Like, it's not what I've done over the last 20 years of my life is play video games. I just haven't done that. So I was thinking, this can't be that complicated. So we went down to the local game store and bought him a couple games um, that I thought he would like. He is obsessed with dinosaurs, so we bought him Lego Jurassic Park. I thought, what better game for my son than Lego Jurassic World? We go home, we put the game in, and in about two minutes, I realized what I had done. Um, these games are a lot more complicated than it was when I was a kid. The the controllers, when I was a kid, you had like A or B, up and down, left to right, and start button. Like there was no, now you got triggers and rumble packs and joysticks, and it's all on one controller. So, Lego Jurassic World, my son made the assumption that I made also, that at some point you're going to see a dinosaur in this game. Um, The problem is I think you have to get beyond level one to see a dinosaur Level one is about getting to a certain point that then lets you in the park to start seeing dinosaurs So he's playing this game and about two to three minutes into it already frustrated and I'm asking myself Why did you do this to yourself Derek? Um, I didn't know what to do so as any good parent would do I went to YouTube and I googled how to get out of level one Lego Jurassic World and Luckily for me, there are some people that do these things called walkthroughs. I don't know if you've ever watched one of these. If you have, I wouldn't raise your hand. Um, but these people get online, they record themselves playing a game, and they're, they're like, they're giving you account of what they're doing. And I'm not going to lie, like, I knew these things were out there, but I always was just thought to myself, man, these are some pathetic losers. Like, you're putting, you're putting yourself playing a video game on YouTube, but when you need one of these things, you're thinking, well, God bless them. They, uh, Man, I'm glad that's what their hobby is. So I went and I found a guy that knew how to play this game, and he got, he got us out of level one and, and made things a little better. One mistake that I made is my son knows that I went to YouTube, so now he thinks every video game has an answer on YouTube, which actually is the truth if you look at it, but I don't want to spend hours on YouTube watching random people play video games. I discovered, you know, video games themselves are already you know, you're removing yourself from reality. You're pretending to do something that you're not actually doing when you're playing a video game. I know some of you, that's a foreign concept because you really think you're actually killing zombies, but you're not. So, but then it's even worse when you're watching somebody on YouTube pretend to do something that they're not really doing. Like at that point, you're multiple layers removed from reality and you really start start questioning like what you're doing with your life. So, um, I got him out of this level one and, you know, things started going better. Last night, we had a little early birthday party for him. On his actual birthday, we're going to be on a cruise, so we want to do a little family birthday party for him early. And my, uh, both, my both his grandparents, my parents and Lisa's parents, bought him video games for his birthday. And one of the ones he's been asking for, he also loves animals and he wants to own a zoo one day. If you ask him what he's going to do, he's going to own a zoo one day. He told me this morning that he needs $100 so he can buy a zoo, and I told him... Okay, that's probably going to be a little more. But he put the zoo game in the console last night before everybody left. And my brother looked at me, and he saw this look of fear and trepidation in my eyes, I think. And he just kind of looked like, I said, well, in about five minutes, I'm going to know what kind of night I'm in for. Uh, this is going to be a game he understands or we're gonna have an issue. Luckily, this game he understands a little bit, so I don't have to look up a walkthrough yet. But I wanna look at today's text that we just read through, and I think it's a walkthrough of what we can learn on how to deal with difficult situations, how we can learn to deal with disappointments, and how we can learn to use what God has done in our lives to impact others. If you look at this text, this man had been demon-possessed for quite some time, chained hand and foot, uh, he was under the watch of a guard. No one wanted to be around this guy. He was crazy. And for so long, this is what his life was. This is what he knew his life to be. Um, but it's interesting in this scripture when it says that even though he had been chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had kept breaking his chains and been driven by the demon into solitude. Number one in your bulletin today is the enemy's goal is to always isolate you in times of trouble. If you look at this scripture, the enemy was doing exactly what he wanted to do with this man in his life. He wanted to isolate him to make him think that he was completely all alone, that there was no hope, that there was no way out, that no one cared. He was probably even to the point that he was probably questioning, is God even out there? Like, what is going on? Because when you are in trouble, the one thing the enemy wants to do more than anything else is get you by yourself. I don't know if anybody in the room can identify this, but I know in our, in our lives and in my personal life, all the times when I've gone through our deepest struggle, our deepest pain, all those times when we're going through something, it's interesting how in your mind you always remove yourself from other people. And you start putting yourself in this environment where it's only you, and it's only you and your thoughts, and all the thoughts that are saying that nobody cares, nobody wants to talk to me, when the, when the reality is, is you don't really want to talk to anybody else about what you're going through, and we're doing exactly what the enemy wants us to do, which is isolating ourselves from other people. In times of trouble, the enemy wants to do everything he can to minimize God and maximize your problem. When you're in trouble, he wants the trouble to be the thing that you focus on. He wants the trouble to be the only thing that you can see. He doesn't want there to be any light of hope in your life because he wants you to magnify the trouble. But I think there's something we can learn from this demon possessed man on what he did. Obviously, he'd already gone into solitude several times. It's in the scripture. He had broken himself free of the chains that were binding him. This man was messed up, but there was one thing that we can see. And number two in your bulletin in times of trouble, cry out to God. And in the scripture in verse 28, it just says, When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet. He knew he was in trouble. He knew he was alone, but when he saw Jesus, he had enough faith to cry out to Jesus and then fall at his feet. I think if we're honest, we can learn something from this man today, because when was the last time when you were in trouble, or maybe you're in trouble right now and you're going through something, when was the last time you cried out to Jesus? Maybe you're crying out to everybody else, but you're not crying out to Jesus, Maybe you're crying out to, to yourself all the time and, and you're isolating yourself and you're letting yourself get all alone and you're letting your thoughts torment you because you think what everybody else is saying about you or what they're doing and all of these things that probably are not even true because you're so isolated and you're not crying out to Jesus. What if we could follow the demon-possessed man's example and cry out to Jesus? Do you ever think you're gonna be told to follow the example of the demon-possessed man at church? But there's something we can learn from what he did in this moment. You see, when we're in trouble, there is something inside of us that is wired to know that we need Jesus. It's just do we accept the fact that we need to cry out to him or not. I don't believe there's a person on the face of the earth that down deep does not know that they need Jesus. There's just some that accept him and some that don't. And there's some that hear about him in a way that they can, they can uh, have a revelation of who he is. And there's others that haven't had that opportunity yet. But I believe there's something in all of us that we are wired to want and need Jesus because we, we were created by a God and that was why he created us. In times of trouble, cry out to Jesus. There's something else that was, that was mentioned in this text where it says that not only did he cry out, he fell at his feet. I know for me, sometimes I'm good at crying out, but I'm also not real good about going to my knees and then praying. I might be good at crying out and say, Jesus, why is all of this stuff happening? And that's all I wanna say. I don't wanna then fall on my knees and fall at the feet of Jesus and say, help me, guide me through this, show me what is going on. But what if we could follow the example of crying out to Jesus? Jesus. The next thing down in the scripture, when it says that um, Jesus had commanded the evil spirits many times to come out of them. And then Jesus looks at him in verse 30 and says, what is your name? And the the response is legion, because there were many demons that had gone into him. Number three in your bulletin, Jesus will speak directly to your trouble. Jesus looked at this demon-possessed man and said, tell me your name. What is your name? And he replied, legion, because the demons, the demons were so much a part of who he was, they replied for him. There's many of us, so we're calling ourselves legion. Jesus will speak directly to your trouble. When we cry out to him and we start praying and say, Jesus, help us, Jesus, guide us, I think sometimes we think that what we're going through somehow is going to intimidate Jesus. Just want to tell somebody in the room today that Jesus is not scared of your situation. Jesus is not Jesus is not fearful of what you're going through. Jesus is not worried about how he's gonna handle what you're walking through right now. Jesus has a plan and he's gonna speak directly to your trouble when you cry out to him. It might not mean that your situation changes tomorrow, but know that Jesus is speaking directly to your trouble, your situation, your worries, your fears. We have a savior who speaks directly to the source of the issue. But we have to speak to our source first. We have to speak to Jesus and ask him for his help. I find it comforting to know that in these times where I'm going through things that I don't fully understand, walking through journeys that I don't fully understand, knowing that I have a Savior that's out in front of me, and he, it might not feel like He's talking to me sometimes, but I'm confident to know that He's ahead of me talking to my problem. He's telling my problem how it's gonna, how it's, what He's going to do with my situation. Jesus will speak directly to your trouble. I want us to look at verse 38 and 39. It says, The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. In this moment, I don't think you can blame this man. When Jesus was basically asked to leave, he's getting on the boat to leave. This demon possessed man followed him and begged him, let me go with you. How can you blame a man who's known nothing but torment and solitude and anguish and desperation when all of a sudden the man, the Savior, comes into his life, he touches him, he sets him free, he delivers him, he gives him hope, he gives him a purpose. All of a sudden, his whole life changes. You cannot blame that man for wanting to go with Jesus and walk every step side by side with Jesus. But I love Jesus' response, and it's number four in your bulletin. What Jesus does for you is not all about you. What Jesus has done in your life, it was for you, but it was not all about you. And this passage of scripture, when it says that he looked at the man who was begging, let me go with you, Jesus. Let me stay with you, Jesus. You gave me a hope. You've given me a future. You cared for me when nobody else would. Please let me go with you. The scripture says that he was begging and Jesus looked at him and said, no, return home. There's another translation that says, no, go home and tell everybody how good I have been to you. What Jesus does Is not all about us. What Jesus has done in your life, it's not all about you. What Jesus has done in your marriage, it's not all about you. What Jesus has done in your finances, it's not all about you. And as a Christian, as a believer, when we get to a point where we realize that there is nothing that God does for me that is only about me. And whatever God does for me, there's a bigger purpose behind it. We start living a life that is more intentionally gospel focused than just sitting here saying, God, what can you do for me now? What can you do for me now? It's not all about us. I believe as Christians, too often, if we're honest, our prayers center around, God, can you do this for me? God, can you do this for me? And I believe what God would say is, once I have saved your soul, forgiven you of your sins, and set you on a no path, it's it's not all for you anymore. Now I want to do some things through you. What could happen if we lived a life in saying, God, what can you do for me? But we're more focused on what can you do through me? because it's not all about you. And then number five in your bulletin, everyone's excited because I got through the first four really quick, but this one's a little bit longer. But number five in your bulletin is there are some doors that can only be opened with your pain. Some doors can only be opened with your pain. When you read this scripture that we read today, and I've been like living in this passage now for about two weeks. But as you read this passage, do you think anyone in this man's town could have taken him seriously if they had not seen what Jesus did for him first? This whole man's existence was being chained hand and foot. He was kept under guard. He was crazy. No one wanted to be around him. But then Jesus comes on the scene, delivers him, and then all of a sudden, this man is asked by Jesus, actually told by Jesus, no, you go home, go back to where everybody knows you, go back to where everybody knows all the craziness that you have done, and tell everybody how good I was to you. The reason that this man could do this is because he was gonna return to the exact place where everybody knew his pain. When I read this scripture, the very first sermon I ever preached at LifePoint on a Sunday morning was this text, and I called the message, Go Home. Because as Christians, if we're honest, that is the one place that so many of us refuse to go. We wanna do everything around the world We want to send money everywhere we want to send it, and there is nothing wrong with any of that. But wouldn't it be a sad reality to get to heaven one day and realize that we saved so many people on the other side of the world, but yet our neighbors, our brothers, our sisters, our moms, and our dads are going to hell because we refuse to go home. What could happen if we said, God, we will return to wherever you want us to return to? The reason we don't like to do it is because we know the people at home know what's wrong with us. They know our issues. They know what we've done. They know what we said. They know what we've said to them. They know what we've done to them. But there are certain doors, and I've learned this so much in my life over the last several years, there are some doors that no one else can open, but you can open them with your pain. You can open doors that no one else can open, if you will allow God to use the pain you've been through. I think sometimes as Christians, we get into the the habit of enduring, and we pray prayers that God, while I'm enduring, and even though it's tough, I'm gonna keep, and, and there are things that we're gonna have to endure in this life, I'm not trying to paint a picture that's not the case, but what would happen if we could say, instead of enduring the difficulties we're going through, I'm gonna embrace them for a higher purpose. There's some things I don't understand. There's some, there's some doctor's reports that don't seem right. There's some relational conflicts I don't understand. I don't know why I got divorced and I don't know why my marriage isn't working. I don't know why my kids aren't coming to Christ. I don't know why my job never seemed. What if we could embrace what we're going through for a higher purpose? What if we could learn to say, God, I know there's gonna be difficulties, but I know you're with me. I know it's not all about me. I opened the day by saying I wanted us to look at what question Jesus' red letter statements should make us ask ourselves. And I don't know why, but as I was driving around preparing for what I was going to preach today several weeks back, I just kept getting this question in my mind, Derek, what are you sitting on? Derek, what are you sitting on? And then I read this text, and I believe the question that he was asking me is what he wants to ask everybody in this room today. What has God done for you that you're now just sitting on? What has God done in your life that you're refusing to tell somebody else about? What has God done in your marriage that you're refusing to encourage somebody else to their difficulty? What has God done in your children that you're not telling somebody else he'll do for their own? What are you sitting on? What reconciliation has God done in your life that you're just sitting on? Because you think it was all about you, but it wasn't all about you. It was for you, but it's not all about you. What gifts and talents are you just sitting on? I believe there's people in this room that God has asked you to do things, and you're just sitting on it. Because you don't think you're ready, you don't think you're qualified, you don't think you're good enough. In this scripture, Jesus cast the demons out, they went into the pigs, they ran off the hill, and they drowned. The next mention of the man, they came to find the man clothed in his right mind, sitting at Jesus' feet. It doesn't make it sound like this was drawn out over a long period of time. This story, the way it's written contextually, it seems like it was all same day, probably pretty close time frame together. Then the next mention of the man is when he's begging to stay with Jesus, and Jesus looks at him and says, no, you don't stay with me, now you go home and you start telling people all about me. If you are waiting to do what God has asked you to do because you're not ready yet, why aren't you ready yet? Jesus didn't tell this man, go get your four-year seminary degree, go attend 15 classes, make sure you go to this meeting and this meeting, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. We should all do that. But God has something for all of us to do, and it's not for tomorrow, it's for today. There are things that God will guide you to do to direct you for your future. I completely understand that. And there's there's qualifications that we have to look at. But while you're getting qualified for what you think your grand calling is, do some stuff in the meantime. I think we have too many people sometimes that think that Christianity is like this professional level job. And it's just being open to say, God, whatever you need from me, I'm willing to do it. I don't think there's a person in this room that could say that God's never done anything for you. And if you have if you if you really think you can say that, the fact that you're sitting in this room alive today, he's done a lot for you. I can look back on, on my life of all the close calls on the freeway, God has done a lot for us that we don't thank him for. He has a plan for everybody in this room. And what if his plan could be shaped around your pain? And maybe you don't like that I'm saying that, well, well, you don't know what I've been, I don't know what you've been through. And I'm sure a lot of it has been very difficult. I'm not trying to minimize that. And if you're in a situation right now that's abusive or someone's hurting you, I'm not saying sit in that. I'm saying leave it. God's not gonna leave you somewhere that is gonna physically harm you if you're in a relational conflict or a relational situation. Get some help, tell us, we'll help get you out. We've got big guys in the church. We're happy to help. But what if God could use the pain that you've been through or maybe the pain you're going through now for a higher purpose? But Jesus' example himself, Jesus opened a door that only his pain could open. We're gonna celebrate Easter next week. We should celebrate it every week as a believer. But Jesus, on that cross, the pain that he went through Open the door for me and you that nothing else could have opened it for. And Jesus himself, as he's preparing for what is coming, because he knows what is coming. Jesus knew everything. He knew what was set before him and he knew what he was gonna walk through. And in that moment as he was preparing, in the scripture it says that he he, he pleaded with his father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. In other words, if there's any other way to carry out your will with me not going through what I'm about to go through, let that happen. But then the next part of the scripture says, but your will not my will. I'm grateful that we had a savior that was more concerned about his father's will than his own. Are you more concerned about your will or his will? If I'm honest, as I was preparing and kind of praying through some things over the last several weeks, if I'm honest, I can say personally, there's some areas where I've gotten very comfortable. And it's made me frustrated lately and it's made me a little angry lately. It's made me a little short-tempered because down deep, I have this frustration that I have allowed myself to become comfortable and I don't like that feeling. And I've been praying, God, don't let me be comfortable. Let me see everything that you've put out in front of us. Let me see what you're asking us to do. The last thing I ever want to do is stand before God Almighty and him tell me that you live comfortable. But maybe today you're in this place and if you're honest, you've been living comfortable. You've been living complacent. But it's time to let God do something through your story to impact other people. God can work through your pain. God can use your pain to open doors that no one else can open. I was reminded today, I saw this person come in the second service. I didn't see him in the first and it triggered this in my mind. But as I spoke a message, it's probably been close to a year ago now and my little niece who goes to church here, they were in first service. She has type one diabetes, insulin pump, the whole deal. Does not run in our family. Just came out of the blue one Thanksgiving four or five years back now. She almost died, taken by ambulance from an urgent care to Texas Children's, no clue what happened. And then all of a sudden they discover that she's in a diabetic coma, basically. I'll never forget walking in the hospital room, trying to, trying to talk to my brother, because I'm thinking, how in the world do I give words of encouragement for what they are facing, the battle that is in front of them? But they've just taken it in stride. But when I preached that sermon, someone came up to me afterwards that day and said, Hey, what you said about your niece, I'm actually type 1 diabetic. I would love to talk them through this. And, you know, if I could help them in any way, this is an adult who's been through the journey a lot longer. So they got in touch with each other. And for Christmas, just, just practical things that God can use your pain to open doors, to encourage others. For Christmas, my niece's favorite little Christmas present was this little necklace that says, We're in this together, from that person who's type one diabetic, who's an adult. And my brother said, that was she will not quit talking about. That was her favorite present. Just a practical way that someone can say, my pain is not all about me. I can help somebody else through their struggle. And there's so many stories that we could say in the church of people who have used their pain. I am telling you, do not miss Easter next week. As a staff member, I get to see what's coming before we do it. And the story that will be shared next week is an example of somebody that is using their pain for a bigger purpose. Don't miss next week. If you've got somebody going through something, bring them with you next week and watch God transform their life through someone that is willing to to open someone else's door by using the pain that they have been through in their life. But on this whole topic of how God can use your pain, you know, it was, um, I put this on Facebook last night, but it's hard to believe. It's, it's been one full year since we opened Champions Club, which is our special needs ministry in the back of our church that we offer at the 9 a.m. service for special needs kids. Our first official sun, Sunday was one year ago today. And God reminded me, when my son was diagnosed with autism, I told nobody. That was like off limits. I don't talk about autism. I can talk about anything else you wanna talk about but don't talk to me about my son and what's wrong with my son. I was very angry and I was resentful and I was bitter and I didn't want to talk about it because I was mad and I didn't know how to deal with it. But I started praying about things and I started seeking God and realizing that, you know what, Romans eight twenty eight it's not just some religious tagline that we can throw out there that no, God will work all things together for the good that those who love him are called according to his purpose. And even though I don't understand it in the moment, God is gonna somehow use this thing for good. So we decided about six months after he was diagnosed, that this was not gonna be something as a family that we endured. We were gonna embrace it. And we were gonna say, God, whatever you wanna do, use it. We're gonna believe that you're gonna heal my son and he's gonna walk completely free. But until you do, we're gonna embrace it. If you meet me now as a perfect stranger, within five minutes, you know my son has autism. I went from not wanting to tell anybody to now I tell everybody. And I do it for a reason, because I've learned that there's doors that my pain can open that nothing else could. I can tell people I'm a pastor, oh, that's the response. People aren't real excited when, oh, you're a pastor, neat. Like, it's not a a real endearing term if you meet straight, I'm just being honest with you not telling you to lie, but try it one time. Like, it's not. For the most part, it's not like, oh, my goodness, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. Like, it's okay. I was playing golf recently, and I was on uh, getting close to the back nine, and I was playing alone, and all of a sudden I came up on these two guys, and I just said, hey, if y'all don't mind me, if y'all don't mind, I'll just join up with you. There's nowhere for me to go. It's it's crowded in front of y'all. They said, are you sure? I was like, yeah, no problem. So, they asked me after about three holes, and from everything they were doing, I didn't really get the impression that they were churchgoers. Um, When they hit a bad shot, they reacted a little differently than me. But after about three holes in, so about hole 12 or 13, one of them looks at me and says, Hey, man, what do you do? I was like, Oh, I'm a pastor. Oh. (laughs) That's super. <laughs> like, that's kind of like the response I get, like, God bless your heart. So no conversations after that. It was <laughs> So we're just like on the tee box. I say, good shot, good, you know, whatever. Three holes later, so this is around 15 or 16, one of the guys says, hey, do you have kids? I say, yep, I got one that's almost nine, one that's five. My one that's almost nine, he's actually got autism. His immediate response, oh, I'm sorry. I said, why are you sorry? Because you're, I mean, I know I've got a friend, I mean, that's tough. I was like, well, you know, it's tough, but man, I can honestly say the good has outweighed the bad. I was like, you know, I mean, you don't have to be sorry. I was like, man, I appreciate it. I was like, but man, you know what? It's been awesome that God helped us. We, we started this ministry at our church and we're reaching other families. And he started telling me about a friend that has a, a child on the autism spectrum that's a little more severe than mine. And I was talking him through that. I was like, man, that's tough. You know, I've got friends that are dealing with that. That is tough. But you know what, man, God's good through it all. Conversation kind of ended again. We get to hole 17, and the guy who's literally told me all of this conversation so far has been with one of the guys. The other guys hasn't said a word to me since he heard the pastor comment. <laughs> he wasn't real thrilled I, th- I paired up with him in the beginning. He wanted it to just be them two, so he already didn't kind of like me from that. And then when I said I was a pastor, I might as well have, like talked about his mom. So, <laughs> so we get to hole 17, and his phone rings, and he quits playing. He's like, y'all go ahead, and so we just keep playing the whole and he comes to me on the green of the 17th hole, and he's like, man, and he has not said anything to me yet. He's like, man, I'm sorry i got to do this, but my phone just rang. He's like, you know I mean? Um, yeah, he's like, uh, this is one of those phone calls you get, and I'll be honest. Like, you just I immediately just have to ask myself, God, where are you? If you're real, where are you? And I'm just sitting there thinking, like, this guy hasn't said a word to me yet. What in the world was on the other side of that phone call? And I was like, well, man, can I just tell you, like, I've been there. I was like, I've asked God before in my life, where are you, God? Why are you letting this happen, God? And I was like, I don't know what's going on in, the, what's going on in your situation, but, man, I'm, I'm praying for you. I don't know what's going on, but I promise you that when your back's against the wall and you're wondering where God's at, that's a great time. For, you know, God's there, trust me. He's like, well, yeah, I mean, he's, this is just one of those situations where literally, man, this could, like, derail everything in my family. It could derail my job. Like, this, this could be bad. And I just told him, I said, again, man, I don't know what you're going through, but I promise you, God's with you. God, God will get you through this, and man, I'm going to pray for you. And then he told he told his buddies, like, "I got to go." So his buddy hopped in my golf cart, and we played the other two holes together. And he left, but as he drove off, I felt like God reminded me. What opened the door with that guy wasn't that you're a pastor. What opened the door with that guy wasn't that you play golf. What opened the door with that guy, whether you realized it or not, was the fact that you talked about your son. You talked about your pain. And he saw you going through pain with a little bit of hope. And he's going—he's—he's he's walking into a situation right now and he's got an inkling of, well, wait a second, I mean, this guy sounds like he has a little bit of hope and he's going through something. I might not ever see that guy again, but I can promise you that my son, the fact that God is going to do something through our pain, and that in spite of our pain, and and that no matter what comes our way, no matter what happens, we know that God has a plan and a purpose, or your pain can open doors, that nothing else can. I believe there's people in this room, you're going through things and you've been through things, and you don't understand it, and you don't think it's fair, and I want to tell you, it probably isn't fair, and it's probably not right I'm going through, what I've been through, and what I will walk through.